All right, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good morning, City Life fam. It's good to see you again. Uh, grateful for John last week. I thought he preached an amazing word of God. Thankful for a group of team preachers here who are faithful to that. But as always, I'm very excited uh, to be able to deliver the word this morning. Uh, if you're new here, we'd love for you to connect with us. So there's a connect card on your seat. Or if you've been coming and you haven't given us your information so we can connect with you, please go ahead and fill that out actually right now. Uh, and then at the end of the service, you can drop it off at the front or the back. We will give you a black box with secret things on the inside. And you can only find out the secret if you give us the connect card, okay? So uh, would you please do that this morning? We'd love to connect with you. Hey, a piece of exciting news. Next week is our two-year anniversary as a church. Woo! We are going to throw a massive party, okay, because we want to celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, you're going to hear testimonies of what God has done. Uh, it's going to be an overview of not just the last two years, but especially the last year and everything God has been doing here through City Light for you. Uh, and then in Graham Road uh, Elementary School parking lot after, so that's where the after party is going to be. Uh, there'll be shaved ice, lunch, or, or brunch for those of you who come to this service at nine, right? Uh, after each service. So... Next week, come, be ready to party, okay? Put your party pants on, let's be excited. And then after service is over, uh, go ahead and drive over to Graham Road Elementary parking lot. There will be a, a party that continues there. We can't do it here because we need everybody at the 9 to leave so that the people at the 11 can have somewhere to park, okay? So, uh, but go over there. The party will continue on the Graham Road parking lot. Uh, it's going to be an awesome time, so we're excited about that. So please hang out with us. Uh, let's just celebrate the Lord. He has been so unbelievably good to us. Uh, as we're working through the service, we've been planning it for months. Months. It's just like we keep looking at each other like this is going to take too long. We can't possibly say all of these things, okay? We have to at some point in the service. Uh, and so, and I'm always the guy like, no, we can do it. I promise we can fit all of this in, you know? Uh, and then next week I'll be like, oh, it'll be way too late, you know? So that's how it goes. But God has done so much. We're just so eager um, for you to hear some of these stories uh, and be blessed and just for you to be encouraged uh, that God is really working through this church. I'm thankful to be a part of it. Uh, two years, most of it being during a pandemic, and the Lord has blessed and is using you mightily to reach this city. And so uh, I'm thankful to be a part of it. Next week we're going to celebrate because God has been so good to us. So please come, bring a friend, and let's party. Now, this week, uh, our house of prayer reopens, and so I want to make sure you know, uh, we, um, as Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, so we want to dedicate not just us as a people, but this specific building, this location, uh, unto prayer. And so normally what we've been doing is we run prayer sets throughout the day, uh, maybe one hour, sometimes two hours during the day. Uh, and so this season now, we're going to shift to a long morning session to join our long night session. So as always, Restore 6.30 Thursday nights. That never changes. That's consistent. You can come pray and seek the Lord with us. Uh, but as of this week, Tuesday morning from 6 to 9, uh, we will be in here. There will be a worship team uh, and a prayer leader, and you can come at any point. It's just open. It starts at 6, it ends at 9, but the whole thing in between is just a free-for-all, okay? So uh, we're just going to worship. So if you want to come before service, I mean, before you go to work, that's kind of the aim is for us to give a space for those of you who want to start your day that way uh, to come before work. And so we switched from a lunch type session to a morning one, uh, and we'll just keep trying different things as we uh, seek to pray together. Every Sunday as well at 9.15 to 10.30, there is a group praying uh, for our services. You can
can join them there as well here. And so let's continue to be a house of prayer together. And finally, last update, at least for me, is our refugee ministry as we're kind of sorting out how to bless and how to serve. Uh, we've been raising some money as you guys have been donating to be able to give to organizations in Haiti and Afghanistan. But then also on the ground here, we've been talking to organizations to figure out what to do, uh, how to be a part of uh, being the helping hands and feet of Jesus as refugees enter in, uh, especially into our city. So there's a couple of things just to get on your radar uh, as we continue to, to work through this and partner with organizations. It's a ton of chaos out there right now, as many of you might know, and so sorting through this has taken a lot of work, and they're still trying to figure out exactly what to do. But as families come in, a couple of primary ways it looks like we're going to be able to serve, I just want you to get ready, okay? So you know, there's nothing actually to do right now, today, but get ready. The first is through LSS, we're going to be able, it looks like, at least we have applied to do this, uh, they call it adopt a family, I think that's a funny way to say it, but uh, serve a family for six to 12 months as they enter into the United States and get adjusted to life here, and so uh, this will be be like a long-term relationship that we're able to build with families as they navigate, obviously, recovering from trauma, as they navigate life in America, all the different things that they're going to be trying to sort out. Uh, they're going to need a ton of help to be able to get used to the new situation that they're in. And so we're going to be able to come alongside of them and be able to serve them and bless them over the long haul, which was what I think is the very best case scenario for being able to serve. And so that's coming up. We have applied to do that through LSS, Lutheran Social Services. Uh, and so we're excited about that opportunity. So just get ready. Maybe talk to your lighthouse, uh, talk to your friends and your family, uh, and we'll see how many families we can serve this way. So that's number one. Number two is we've been given a donation list through local military base uh, who's bringing in 5,000 refugees uh, on base, and so we're trying to sort through that and work with them. That list will come out this week. We're going to open up the trailer. You can throw a bunch of stuff in there, and so we're going to let you know about that this week. So be ready. So that's like a the one time, just give what you got, and we'll donate it out. Uh, adopt a family is a long term. And then actually, this one's fun. On September 19th, so in two weeks, uh, we're going to have rugs here from an organization, a business as missions in Afghanistan, uh, who sells rugs and basically employs especially women uh, to be able to make a living. And so their rugs have been shipped to Raleigh. We're going to go get those in the midst of their crisis, and we're going to be able to put them here so that you can buy them, and then the money goes back to the organization on the ground. So this is going to serve people on the ground right now who are still living there, who have to still live there and have no other choice. And so that's going to be able to bless them. And so those are three primary ways in which the Lord has opened doors. So just a heads up on that. September 19th, come ready uh, with your paycheck, all right, to buy a rug, all right? I don't care if you have a rug. Don't matter to me, okay? You come buy a rug, all right? And give it away to somebody. I don't care. Make it a Christmas present, all right? Whatever you want to do, come buy a rug, though. All that money, all of it goes directly to them. Uh, and then and be looking on the lookout for a donation list, and then get ready with your, uh, your group, your friends, your lighthouse, to be able to, to adopt a family over the long haul. And uh, through these means, we hope to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And as always, continue to pray. So, uh, this week is our last week of our Who is Jesus series. This is week uh, technically 10. It's week 8 in the, in the sessions as we work through this. Uh, we are working through the book of Mark, or have worked through the book of Mark, and we're just trying to answer the question, who is Jesus, which is a relevant question for all of you, your friends and your family who are seeking spirituality, trying to figure out what Christianity is about. I know many of you are in that boat. It's also a relevant question for those of you who've called yourself a Christian for 50 years, because we all have misconceptions based off what we've misunderstood or what culture has taught about who Jesus is. We always need to clarify the answer to this 
this question so that we can live in light of who he really is. Now, we have spent the last nine weeks going through this, going through the Word of God, being very specific about who he is and who he is not. Remember, he's not Teacher Gandhi giving nice advice. He's not your homeboy. He's not like an unintimidating figure. He's just fairy tale. He's none of that, right? He's the real Jesus we've been working through, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. What does this man who is God have to say to us And so I hope that you've been listening. I hope that some friends and family, maybe those of you present, have still been seeking. These books are still available. They're Christianity Explored. They work you through the Gospel of Mark. We've been partnering every sermon with a session in here. And so we're still lots of those. So if you want to use it now or just have some as a tool for evangelism, or if you're here and you're still trying to figure out this Christianity thing and you would like to continue in that, please take one of these red books. They are our gift to you. Take five of them if you like uh, and use them well. We're going to be in Mark chapter 16 today as we answer this final question, who is Jesus, and we look at the last part of his life here on earth. And as we consider kind of the close of this series, I want you to have in the background sort of of your mind that theme song from Jeopardy when everyone has to make their final decision, okay? You guys know this, right? And then how does it end? Everybody do it with me. Da, 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 da. Right, okay, that's how it is. And you know, when it hits that last duh, you gotta have your answer. It's a wrap, okay? There's nothing else after that. You better have your answer. And I want you to have, especially those of you who are here and have yet to make a decision about Jesus, those of you who are watching online, whether today or when someone sends you this video, and have yet to make a decision about Jesus, that you would have that sense of urgency that that song, so to speak, would be playing in the back of your mind to say, I can't keep saying whatever about Jesus. I have to make up my mind. That's been my prayer all week, is that the Spirit of God would just, just pressure you. Be like, stop messing around and make up your mind. Make up your mind. And I want you to sense that theme song, because you know at the end of Jeopardy, you know when it's coming, you better have an answer. Now, we also know that this is the end of the series, and so you better have an answer, but what you don't know is when the end of your life will be. And the most important thing you need to have is an answer to that question before your life is over. This is why this is urgent. There's that, that theme song in Jeopardy is playing throughout your life. You just don't know when the da, 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 da. You don't know when that part is. The da. You don't know. You don't know. And some of y'all act like you have more time than you don't. Some of y'all act like you're not really considering that last. There is going to be a duh. And at that duh, there's not going to be any other chance. It's pencils down. There's no other chance to answer this question. And I want you to have that sense of urgency this morning, whether you're actually watching it today or whenever you see this, uh, whether you're here or not, I want you to have that sense of real urgency to say, I must make a decision about Jesus. I cannot ignore him, and I cannot box him in as like a nice teacher like Gandhi, who's like, cool, I'm cool with that, but it doesn't call a response from me. That's not, you can't put him in that category to be like, yeah, he said some nice things. I agree that he lived. I'm going to just leave him like that. As we've seen all 10 weeks, you must call him a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. There's no other option. And I hope today, my prayer is, that you come to the understanding and decision that he is Lord. But either way, you cannot just say whatever about Jesus. It's simply not an option. I've heard someone say that Jesus' two favorite words are come and go. Come and go. 
And that's going to be true for all of us this morning. Some of you need to hear him say, come, and you need to respond to him in faith by believing and trusting in his life, death, and resurrection for your sins. You need to come to Jesus this morning. Many of you need to go and follow the final command that he gave us in his life that you're going to see today. For all of us, a response to the revelation of Jesus is a necessity. You simply cannot leave from here and say, oh, nice sermon, thanks, good time, good call, whatever, whatever. You cannot leave from here and do that. You have to leave from here and either love him with all your heart or hate him with all your might. And you have to leave from here and be totally obsessed with telling people about him or totally not. But you cannot be somewhere in the middle. He says, come, and to those of you who have come, you need to go. You need to go, go, go. And to those of you who are still hesitant, today you need to come. But we all must respond to him this morning. So open your Bible to Mark chapter 16. Let's see if you remember. Let's open the word of God. Let's go! Okay, okay. That was good. John forgot to do that last week, and so I have disciplined him accordingly. I'm just kidding. But y'all might have forgotten about it. So we're going to yell, let's go, because opening the Word of God is the most awesome thing in the world. And there's a background to that story, but I'm not going to say it every week now, so you can ask me personally if you like why we do that. There's a reason why we do that. Okay, Mark chapter 16, 1 through um, 8, uh, 1 through 13, sorry, we're going to start there. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, They went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. And all God's people said, Amen to that. Okay, amen. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, As they mourned and wept, but get this, verse 11, but when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking in the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. So we're going to stop there before we hit the last part uh, of this text. The first thing you need to understand that we're talking about this morning is that a resurrection demands a response. A resurrection demands a response. A resurrection demands a response. Just in terms of a secular understanding of history, there is not another situation like this where a person has claimed to be God and has also been given evidence for rising from the dead. No, none, none. Nobody has to wonder whether Buddha or Muhammad has risen from the dead. Nobody asked that question. The claim has not been made. Nobody has to wonder if 
any other great prophet or any other teacher of religious things or any other spiritual leader has risen from the dead. That claim is not being passed around. Do you understand this? Just from a historical issue, forget about whether you agree spiritually or not, this is an incredible thing for you to have to deal with. Just to have to deal with. Just to say the most historically verifiable and reliable historical document in human history, the Bible, apart from any spiritual understanding, just the most historically reliable and accurate has a ton of information about this. And as we're going to see, there's a ton of eyewitnesses to this. This is something we ought not to take lightly, that a resurrection demands a response, simply the claim of one, of someone who did so many witnessable great things ought to give you pause as to whether you really can dismiss him as just a nice guy who taught nice things. A resurrection demands a response. As we've seen all series, the only proper response to Jesus is an extreme one. If you really take anything from all that we're saying, I hope you realize this, both Christian and non-believer, the only proper response to seeing who Jesus really is, right? Once you throw fairy tale Jesus in the trash can and you get rid of all these misconceptions about Jesus, especially the ones you like because they're unintimidating, you know why, you know why we like Gandhi Jesus? Because it asks nothing of us. It requires no response. It allows me to do whatever I want because he's just cool, whatever. That's why we like that kind of Jesus. But the real kind of Jesus shows up and demands something from you. He confronts yourself. He confronts your view of the world. He confronts how you think. He confronts the time of your death and what's going to happen. He confronts you, and you have to deal with him. And he says crazy things, and he does crazy things, as we have seen all series. Therefore, the only proper response, always, to those of you who have known Jesus forever and are still trying to figure out, is an extreme one. And if we've done anything, I hope we've killed the whatever attitude towards Jesus. I hope in city light that is dead. The ho-hum, cool, I like Jesus, I hope that's dead. And we respond in worship that is extreme. We respond in obedience that is extreme. We respond in lifestyles that are radical and extreme. We respond with words and affirmations that are extreme. We no longer say ho-hum, cool, whatever, to Jesus. That is simply inappropriate and not an option. But what I want you to see here, especially to those of you who might still be on the fence, you're listening to this or you're here in this space and you're hesitant and skeptical. I wanna, I wanna show you, this is very important, because the disciples themselves, who were Jesus' biggest fans and who wanted the very best things to happen for him, did not expect this to happen, nor did they even believe it when they first heard about it. You come in here and you're hesitant and skeptical. Man, so were they. And so really were all of us at one point in our lives. Like many of you now, and like many of us before, we simply had a hard time believing that this was possible. I want you to also see that this is not part of some plan that the disciples had concocted. They did not expect this to happen. And when they heard the news, they didn't say, oh, great, praise the Lord. They said, nah, no way, no way. 
even though Jesus himself had told them this would happen. If you ever feel low about yourself in your walk with Jesus and you feel like you're not doing a good job, just remember the disciples. Just remember them. And Jesus was really kind and patient with them, okay? He's kind and patient with you. Even though we're all a bunch of knuckleheads, we don't listen to him. And so the disciples did not plan this. They did not expect this. And the news about it surprised them, and they didn't believe it. So if you're here this morning hesitant, skeptical, if you're watching online hesitant and skeptical, you have some friends, really with all of us at many points in our journey with Jesus. Everyone has had to deal with this. But also you have some friends with the people who knew him best while he was on earth. So what changes a person from being a hesitant and a skeptic to being willing to die for that? That's the question you have to deal with. That's the historical question you have to deal with. Why would a group of people who are hesitant, skeptical, and unbelieving go from that to being willing to die for this claim? Why would they do that? What would compel a person to make that shift? And what we're going to see is that they saw him. They saw him. And not only the disciples, but we're going to see through 1 Corinthians 15, the claim is that at least over 500 people saw Jesus risen from the dead over the 40 days that he was still alive in the flesh on this earth. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 9, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared, so now he has to give evidence. He was raised on the third day. He's not just like, cool, believe it. He says, and he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, meaning go ask them about it, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then he appeared to all of the apostles. Last of all, Paul says, as one untimely born, he appeared to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. And just for those of you who are hesitant and skeptical, as you should very well know, most of the way we get things done in the court of law is by eyewitness testimony. The majority of things we can know about Jesus are not only just verifiable in the scriptures, but they have eyewitness and had eyewitness testimony. Something like the resurrection of Jesus, a highly charged and big figure in the world, could easily be disproven. And it's also very hard to believe. So the burden of proof weighs heavily on the people who believe he raised from the dead. Much easier to prove he's dead. Here's the body. Much harder to believe he rose from the dead. Never seen that before. And then you have this group of people now, and it grows and it grows. Why? Because there's so many people that saw him. Now imagine if in this room, okay, Ryan's right here on the front. He's a friend of mine. What if I went down and I just punched him in the face? And then we went into the court of law, and they said, did Nate punch Ryan in the face? And then all of you, hundreds of you, got in there, and everybody said, yep, yep. Would, there need, would anything else need to be done? No. They would be like, yep, that happened. It's also on YouTube, okay? So you see but yeah, that happened. If all of you walked into a court and said, yeah, he punched him in the face, there would be no more questions, no more evidence. It would be unnecessary. Like, oh, hundreds of people agree upon one thing, and the same time they all saw it, duh. Well, that's exactly what you have in the scriptures. 
It's exactly what you have with the resurrection. Jesus didn't rise from the dead and shoot straight up into heaven and say, well, hey, I'm alive. No, he rose from the dead. He had flesh like me. He had a, a glorified body, whatever that looks like. It was amazing, I'm sure. But he was there. He was there. And people saw him, and they wrote it down in the most historically verifiable document ever. And I just want you to know, you have to deal with it. You just have to deal with it. You can't run away from all this information. You can't run away and say, oh, whatever. You just can't do that. You're not being intellectually even, like, fair to yourself. You can't just run away from that and say, okay, whatever. Jesus really did rise from the dead. And then that is the seal of approval on everything that he said about himself to be God, to be the savior of the world, to do signs and wonders. This is the ultimate, ultimate evidence. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole sermon doing all the things I could do to verify that. I'm going to give you a resource. The resource is called The Case for the Resurrection of Jesus. This was one of my favorite seminary books about this. There's obviously lots of resources about the resurrection of Jesus. Many faithful scholars have done the work, but this is one of my favorite, at least, by Gary Habermas. So if you have questions or if you would like to just be more prepared to be able to talk through this yourself with those who may have questions, please get this book educate yourself, learn more about the claims of Jesus. Now, not only did these people see him, but also what I want you to understand, and many of us understand, is that through the eyes of faith, many people sitting in this room has also seen him. And now we all give testimony to the fact that the moment we saw the risen Lord, our lives have forever been changed. And once again, you have to deal with this. That there is a millions upon millions, billions of people across the world, throughout time and space, who radically altered the way they live because they say they met Jesus. What are you going to do with that? A resurrection demands a response this is not only true for every skeptic or hesitant person, unbeliever in the room, it's also true for all of us who claim to know Jesus that a resurrection to believe in a God who rose from the dead, to believe in a Savior who conquered death and sin should radically alter the way we live our lives. Believing in Jesus who conquered death should radically give you hope for the future. If the God that you trust in, one, number one, died for you because he loves you, and then rose from the dead because he's all-powerful, then what in the world could get in your way? What in the world could change his plans for your life? What in the world could keep back his hand from caring for you? Do you see this? You're like, oh yeah, the resurrection, I got it in my head, it's a fact. Do I believe it? Check. But do you? You know, if we really believed this, would you worry about anything? I mean, really, you'd be like, God loves me, he died for me, and he rose from the dead and conquered everything. I can trust him. I can trust his care. He actually does love me. He's personal with me. He died for my sins. And I can trust his control. He is all-powerful and he rules over the world. 
Because of the resurrection, I trust God's care and I trust God's control. And now this dramatically affects the way that I live my life. The resurrection of Jesus demands a response, not just from the unbeliever, but from the believer as well. And it should dramatically alter the way that you live your life. It should dramatically give you hope and a future. It should give you encouragement. But sometimes we just box these things in, even the cross, and we say, okay, Jesus died for my sins, now what? Okay, he rose from the dead, believe it, now what? That is the what? He died for your sins, like, oh my goodness, you're set free, like everything you've ever done, paid for on the cross by Jesus himself, he loves you. And he rose from the dead. Anything you're ever afraid of, nothing bigger than him, even death itself, like what? You don't have to be afraid to die. You hear that? Like, even though it may be painful and even though it scares us so many, you say, you don't have to be afraid of it. Why? Because for the believer, death is just the doorway to paradise. Because Jesus rose from the dead, I will rise from the dead and I will join him forever. These truths that we call gospel are truths that every believer needs every day of your life. Because Jesus is alive, your hope is alive, and this should dramatically alter the way you live your life. The resurrection demands a response. Now let's see the final words of Jesus. We're going to close this whole series with the final words of Jesus to his disciples. Verse 14, it says, Afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves as they were reclining at the table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And then he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Don't you love this? He shows up and he's like, you fools, how could you not believe everything that I said? He rebukes them. Then right after that, he's like, go. You know, you're like, wait, which one is it? Am I a dummy or am I supposed to go? I don't, you know, like, do you trust me or do you not trust me? What is the deal here? He says, listen, you're gonna, but then he says, go. And this is such an encouragement, right? That you could be a hot mess and Jesus could show up and bring conviction of sin and really bring the hammer down to say, you hardness of heart, you fool, stop doing this and trust me. And then the very next sentence, he doesn't say, I'll go sit in a corner till you get it together. Now he says, go, right? Oh, you had a terrible week last week. This week, Go. Oh, you're stuck in some sin, and you're feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he doesn't say, okay, repent, and then sit in a corner until you get over that sin. No, no, no. He says, repent and go. Do you see that? You're empowered by the God of the universe to go do the mission he has called you to. And that doesn't mean that you have to be perfect or be strong or not mess up. But even in the midst of your mistakes, Jesus can come, he can bring discipline, bring a rebuke, but it's not to put you in time out. It's to release you for mission. And so many Christians I know, they get so bogged down by the weight of their sin or the fact that they're not doing good enough, they don't read the Bible enough, or they're just struggling and they think, well, how could I ever do anything for Jesus? You can, because as we're going to see, it's not you doing something for Jesus, it's Jesus doing something through you. 
It's not about you or how perfect you are or how able you are. It's about you and it's about God using your life. This should be such an encouragement to those of you who are struggling. Jesus doesn't mess around. He's not like, well, it doesn't matter. Yeah, he comes and he says, you hard hearts, and he rebukes them as only Jesus could. And I'm sure it was very strong because he's Jesus. And I'm sure it came with a lot of, you know. But then he looks at him and he says, okay, now go. I'm entrusting the mission of my life to you. Like, what? I thought you just called me an idiot, you know. This is so encouraging that Jesus wants to continue to lose your life, use your life, even in the midst of your mistakes and problems, that Jesus can come bring rebuke and conviction of sin, and also in the very same breath, entrust you with a mission to go and be a part of his work to save the world. So don't let your current issues and struggles and inabilities and lack of belief in some ways keep you from joining God in his mission. So this is what Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Here's a few phrases for us as we leave from here, especially for those of you now who call yourselves Christ followers. The first call is to come. If you say, I have come to Jesus, now the call is to go. Here's a phrase for us. Number one, the whole work is the whole world. Look at that. He go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all of the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Therefore, the whole work is the whole world, and it is our job to join Jesus to take the gospel to every person in every corner of the entire world. And as the great Kobe Bryant once said when they won the first two games in the finals, he said, job not done. Right? It's like, good job. Good job, Kobe. You feel good about that? Maybe those of you who watch basketball get it. The rest of you don't understand. They say, hey, yeah, good job, Kobe. You're up two games in the finals. And he's not like, oh, yeah, we're feeling good. He said, job not done. Job not done. And he said it as only Kobe could. And it was much more powerful than how I'm saying it right now. But he said, job not done. Job not done. It wasn't like, oh, good job. No, no, no. Job not done. You know what? So it's like, oh, City Light, you've been around for two years. It's been great. Congratulations. We should all be like, job not done. There are thousands upon thousands of people just in our neighborhoods that we haven't reached with the gospel yet, right? This kind of stuff is what begins to drive you because you stop saying, oh, I've done a good job. Oh, we've done enough. Oh, I've talked to one of my neighbors. Now you say, no, 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 The whole work is the whole world. Every person in every nook and cranny of the entire world. That's the job. That's the job. And now God sends us. The whole work is holy in all of your family. The whole work is all of your friend circle. The whole work is your whole workplace. The whole work is your whole neighborhood. The whole work is the whole Graham Road. The whole work is all of Falls Church. The whole work is the whole high school. The whole work is the whole elementary school. The whole work is this whole neighborhood. The whole work is the whole DMV. The whole work is the whole world. And until God calls us to himself, our only few words is job not done. Job not done. This should drive us and drive you to be thankful for all God is doing, but to continue to press in 
to say there are so many people just in my neighborhood that haven't been given an opportunity to respond to Jesus. There are so many people just right around here that have yet to hear the good news of the gospel. Job not done. The whole work is the whole world. So then Jesus says in verse 19, after he had spoken to them, or after the, he had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat down on the right hand of God. And verse 20, and they went out and they preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. This is the close. This is how the book ends. This is how the whole gospel of Mark comes to a finality. So they respond to Jesus in verse 20 by going out and they preach everywhere. Now, obviously, they're limited in their ability to travel. This is not 2021. They're not getting on planes. What does preach everywhere mean? Preach everywhere means that when they left from receiving the command of Jesus, they went everywhere they knew to everywhere they could to preach the good news. So here's our final thing here. The whole work is the whole world. We reach the whole world when you start with your world. You see what I'm saying? So the burden of the whole world, of course, doesn't rest on you. That's ridiculous. But now, how do we as the body of Christ, here in Falls Church, as the body of Christ, spread throughout the DME, join with brothers all over in India and Africa and Japan, how do all of us work together? We do this work in the whole world when you start with your world. So now the question is not, oh, how are you taking the gospel to the whole world, which is important, but the question is, how are you, are you being responsible and are you owning the mission in your world? We do the whole work when you go to your world, when I go to my world. This is the command of Jesus. Remember, this is not good advice. Jesus rises to the throne, and his last words on earth are to go and take the gospel to all of creation, the disciples appropriately respond by preaching everywhere. This is the call of God on your life. Preaching is not just for preachers. Sharing the good news is the basic responsibility and privilege of every person who calls himself a follower of Christ. Jesus says, come, and Jesus says, go. Have you taken responsibility for the whole of your world? Do you feel the weight and the burden of joining Jesus to reach everyone in your whole world? Because we will not reach the whole world until we all commit to reaching our world. Who is the Lord putting on your heart even now? What place is the Lord giving you a burden for now? This is the call of Jesus Christ. This is why we say that Sundays and services at City Light are not a landing place, but a launching pad. The goal is not to just keep coming, landing here, but good, okay, what? The goal is to launch out of here like a trampoline to be encouraged, equipped, and sent. Go fight the battle all week. Come back, beat up and bruised. Yes, Lord, you're worthy. Go back, be out, sent. This is how this is supposed to work. Now, here's the final encouraging piece. Look at this. They went out and they preached everywhere. Oh, I love this phrase. While the Lord worked with them. Remember, it is not you doing something for God, but God doing something through you. 
you want to know this? I get this question a lot. How can I experience the presence of God more? And a lot of times people want to say, they would expect me to say, okay, come to a worship service, you know, which obviously you should. But the first thing I always say is go share the gospel with someone. You know how many times throughout the scriptures the Lord promises his presence when we act in obedience to proclaim his message? You want to know what it feels like to be close to God? Go share the gospel with someone. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, you want the a feeling, you want the experience of being near to King Jesus, go share the gospel with someone. They went and they preached, and the Lord worked with them, and get this, and he confirmed the message. He confirmed the message. You know what God doesn't confirm? Your good works of being a nice person. You know what God doesn't confirm? The church. You know what God doesn't confirm? The messenger. What does God bring his supernatural power to? The message. So unless we're sharing the message, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for sins, then we are leaving supernatural power on the side. God confirms the message. He doesn't confirm you being nice at work. That gets nowhere. God confirms the message. God confirms opening your mouth, sharing the message with the words to say Jesus lived and died for you. He rose from the dead for you. If you would trust and believe in him, you could be saved. And when you start to do that, then God comes and he confirms the message with his power. Listen, if you want to live by the power of God, then you must live according to the priorities of God. I'm just begging you, especially those of you who call yourselves Christians, to say, man, you, you want certain things. You want the power of God. You want the presence of God. But if you want those things, you have to live according to the priorities of God. God confirms what he affirms. That's the deal. He'll confirm what he affirms. And if you're not living according to what God affirms, then he won't confirm what you're doing. If you're not living according to God's priorities, then he won't give you his power. And I just get this so much as a pastor. How can I have more power? More? And I'm just telling you, this is the way. This is the way to say, I'm going to go, and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to do it with grace and truth. I'm going to do it with wisdom. I'm going to do it in prayer. I'm going to do it strategically. I'm not just going to randomly. But I'm going to go, and I'm going to think about it. I'm going to pray about it. I'm going to care about it. I'm not just going to say it's the job of the, my pastor or the people at church. I'm going to own it to say the whole work is the whole world, and we reach the whole world when I start with my world. And if I want the power of God and the presence of God, then I have to live my life according to the priorities of God. And that's it. Believers, him is the only way to live. It's the only way to live. And if you're just expecting to come to church and get a nice boost of God's presence, I certainly know that in his grace he'll meet you here so many ways. But if you really want to walk with God, you really want to experience the power and presence of God in your life every day, you really want to know what it's like to be close to God, then you have to join him in what he's doing. You have to join him in what he's doing. If you want to live by the power of God, then you must live according to the priorities of God. And so as we close, there's only two responses God is telling you now, and you know it in your heart. He's telling you either to come and to respond in faith to him. A resurrection demands a response. You can come up to the altar. You can talk to the friend who brought you or the family member. You can call, but you need to respond. You need to come. And there's many of you as well that need to go. You need to run out of this church when this is over, inspired and convicted to go live a life on purpose. 
and to go live according to God's priorities. Because the whole work is the whole world. And we'll reach the whole world when you start with your world. Let me pray for us. Let's respond to him. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you that the burden is not on us to accomplish anything. It's just to be willing. We thank you that it's not us going to do something for you, but you doing something through us. And I just pray, I pray that you would cultivate in us a willing heart, God. Give us a burden, Lord. Help us to feel that sense. Job not done. I have work to do. My father is working, and so I join him in that. I pray you would give us that burden, Lord, that we wouldn't just skate by in our lives. I pray, Lord, for every person in this room or watching it online who doesn't yet know you and is hesitant, I pray that you would work in their hearts, God, that they would respond to you right now in faith and belief. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's respond to the Lord.